this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. If you'll open your Bibles this morning uh, to Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to use one of the Bibles in our pews, it's page 978. And so if you're new here today, uh, what we're doing uh, in these last few months together is we've been walking through the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. And we just kind of go through each week and we pick up where we left off last week. And so we left off last week um, at Ephesians 4.25. And so if you'll turn there, it's page 978 in the Pew Bibles. But this is a passage where the Apostle Paul is talking about relationships. Can you relate? Well, what he's doing here is he's, he's giving us a series of, of admonitions about how to do relationships with other people in a way that's not only God-honoring, but a way that makes life just a whole lot better. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to begin with verse 25, and I'm going to just read the text first, and then we're going to talk about it. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Imagine that a music collector is rummaging through a dusty old attic in Vienna. When he comes across a faded piece of music that's been composed for the piano. Well, since he's a collector and since Vienna is the city where Mozart spent the last few years of his life, The collector is intrigued by this piece of music, intrigued enough to take it to a dealer. And when the dealer looks at this piece of music, his heart begins to literally pound because he's enough of an expert to recognize the handwriting of Mozart. And soon they summon someone to play the piano, and they're all gathered around the piano And the music is beautiful. It's just gorgeous. It's just like something that Mozart would have written. But it's strangely incomplete. There are moments when the piano is just sort of of marking time. 
and then it dawns on them. This is indeed a piece of music written by Mozart, but it's a piano piece that was written to be played in relationship with a bunch of other instruments. It wasn't designed to be played alone, but with others. That's the way it is with us. We are made for relationships, designed to relate to other people, whether it's in the context of a team, football team, uh, whether it's in the context of colleagues that we work with or friendships that we have, or maybe the team is called a family, a marriage, or a church. We're designed, made by God, to to function in relationship to other people. So we're designed for relationships. We long for relationships. I mean, we may enjoy some time alone, but too much time alone, we we go crazy. You know, we we long for relationships. So we're designed for relationships. Um, We long for relationships, and yet relationships can be so difficult, (laughs) And the issues that we come across in relationships are not new. They were there in biblical times. And so what the Apostle Paul is doing in this passage is he's walking us through a whole series of admonitions. And if we follow these commands, relationships can be transformed. And life is just a whole lot better. So... What does he say here in these verses about relating to others in a way that honors God? The first thing that he's talking about here in this text is that we're we're to relate to others on the basis of honesty. And he says in verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Then, in the first century when when this was written, and now... You know, we live in a culture that's full of falsehood, full of lies. And in the midst of all of that, God calls us to be people of absolute integrity. I'll never forget watching the 2010 Heritage Open down at Hilton Head, South Carolina, and watching the last round of that golf tournament on, on TV. And after four rounds of golf, it came down to a playoff between Jim Furyk, who was a relatively established star, and a journeyman player named Brian Davis. Brian Davis was one of these guys who just grinds away for years, good enough to keep his card on the PGA Tour, but he had played for years on tour and had never won a tournament. Not one. This was his great opportunity. But on the first playoff hole, Brian Davis's ball was sort of in some sort of semi, a semi-marshy area off the green. And he was chipping. And as, he, as he, he, he took his club back, his club just slightly grazed a, a, a reed that was growing up. It did not move the golf ball. It did not give him any advantage whatsoever in hitting the golf ball. 
and no one saw it but Brian Davis. And he knew that any contact with that read would be a violation of the rules. And he called a two-shot penalty on himself and gave up any opportunity that he had for his first PGA Tour victory. But he won a much larger victory that day. You know, that kind of integrity stands out because it's so unusual. But it shouldn't be. Honesty is a big deal to God. God puts honesty in his top ten, okay, in the Ten Commandments, one of which says, um, you shall not bear false witness or lie. But it's not just that we're to refrain from lying. This verse says that we're to speak the truth in relationships. Healthy relationships are not characterized by hiddenness, but by openness and transparency. And nothing destroys relationships like lies and concealment. And that's because relationships have to be based on trust. And trust is based on truth. Now, Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he calls us to be people of truth in a world that's so often filled with lies. The second thing that Paul is addressing here in this text is anger, something else that really tears the fabric of relationships. How do we, how do we deal with anger? It says in verses 26 and 27, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. But is all anger sinful? No. God gets angry. He gets angry at injustice, for instance. Uh, God is love, the Bible says, but, but part of his love is that he hates evil and he must judge it. And he does get angry with injustice. And so if we love God, we're going to get angry at what God gets angry at. And so, you know, yes, we should be angry at, at evil and injustice in our world. But most of our anger in relationships it's not like that. It doesn't measure up to God's perfectly righteous anger. You know, we're angry because we were insulted, you know, or feel neglected, or we're disappointed, or we're you know, put down in some way, and so we feel offended, and so we, we let angry words fly, which are like arrows that are shot out, that once shot cannot be pulled back. Or sometimes we take the anger in and we just do a slow burn and the anger just becomes like a, a root of bitterness within us. And he, Paul says here, don't do that. That's what he means when he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. You want to deal with it quickly. Seek reconciliation quickly. And we're you can't be reconciled. Release the anger to God, but don't take it in and allow that, that root of bitterness to spring up that just can just destroy your life and destroy relationships. Now, listen, we think of anger as something that is caused by provocation. 
And we think when we get angry, the cause of it is whatever's provoking the anger. I want us to think of it a bit differently than that. If I'm carrying a, a tray of drinks and someone bumps into me, what's inside those glasses already is what's going to spill out. Anger spills out of us because anger is already within us. The great Christian writer C.S. Lewis put it this way. Lewis said, provocation doesn't make me ill-tempered. It only shows me how ill-tempered I am. It, it's a heart issue. Okay? It's anger and it's because it's already there in the heart. And that means that to deal with it, we have to deal with our hearts. We have to deal with the interior of our lives. And I want to tell you something. We need God's help to do that because only he can, can cleanse and heal our hearts. So he talks about anger. And then third, Paul's talking about generosity here in verse 28. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. We live in a world full of need, don't we? I'm grateful for the opportunities that I've had to travel a bit outside of our own borders because God has used some of those times to touch my heart and to open my eyes. Like the day that I flew into Bangladesh and drove through the teeming streets of Dhaka, Bangladesh, with just the desperate needs of millions of people living in shanties and just just being hit in the face with need like I had never seen before. Or like one day in a village in the Atlas Mountains in Morocco, a village without running water where some teachers were doing heroic work with children and, and, and visiting the classroom where these teachers taught and it was so sweltering that and flies were just schooling you know in in circles like a funnel of funnels of flies all over the place and then looking down the hill where a little boy maybe nine or ten years old was walking up the hill this village no running water and he's just gotten water from the well at the bottom of the hill probably not a very clean well and he's, he's trudging up the hill with just with jugs of water, and he's bringing it up to the classroom so the children will have something to drink. I left Morocco that day and flew from there to Dubai, maybe the wealthiest city on earth. And in less than 24 hours... I went from the experience of seeing these little kids in a sweltering classroom with flies because they'd never heard of air conditioning in their lives to standing in an over-the-top opulent mall in Dubai and watching people ski down the indoor ski slope of the mall when it's 110 degrees outside. And I'm going from seeing this little kid carrying buckets of dirty water 
to looking around and seeing people with more oil money than what they knew what to do with, and they're just carrying loads and loads of stuff around this mall. And I'm thinking, what's wrong? What's wrong with the world? A British newspaper once asked that question. They asked readers, what's wrong with the world? And the writer G.K. Chesterton wrote back, what's wrong with the world? I am. You see, all of us, the Bible says, are prone toward selfishness. We're all tempted to be selfish. But in a world full of takers, God calls us to be givers. In a dog-eat-dog world where everybody is looking out for number one, God says to, God calls us to see that, well, actually, we're not number one. Actually, he's number one. And he calls us to look out for the needs of others and to generously share with others. Now, in order to do that, we have to have something to share. And so this verse and tons of other verses in the Bible exalt a strong work ethic. Right? Working Earning money, that, that's, those aren't bad things. Those are good things, virtuous things. But we're to do those things not just so that we can keep it all, not just so we can live self-indulgently, but so that we're better positioned to help others, to share with those in need. I'm so glad God's a giver. God's the ultimate giver. John 3.16, maybe the most famous verse in the Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So he talks about generosity here. And then fourth, words. Words. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear now, Paul has already kind of talked about words in this text already, hasn't he? He talked about dishonesty, which often takes the form of lies that are spoken. And he talked about anger, which often takes the form of angry words that are spoken. But, but now he lasers in on the issue of words. What we should say, what we have no business saying. And he gives... Two commands here in verse 29. A negative command and a positive command. The negative command is, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Now, the word corrupting here is the, the English translation of, of the original Greek word that Paul wrote this in. And, and in the original Greek, really the meaning of that word is rotten, <laughs> It's the word that's used in other parts of the New Testament for, like, rotten fruit. Okay, so don't, don't let any rotten talk come out of your mouth, whether that takes the form of gossip or slander or lies or insults or just any words that are meant to harm or wound or tear down. But, and here's the positive command, but only such as is good for building up. Only speak that 
which is good for building up. Words that are meant to encourage and help and heal. Because those kinds of words give grace. You notice what he says here at the end of the verse. He says that it may give grace to those who hear. This is really amazing. But it's saying here that, that God can use our words as, as channels of his grace flowing out to other people. And he says that we're to do that as it fits the occasion. So in other words, what that means is that we should wake up each day looking for opportunities to bless other people with our words. It means that that we should be on the lookout, just proactively looking, sensitive to the needs of others and ways that we can speak words that are meant to, to help, to heal, to encourage, to build up. He says in verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. The world has enough of these things without us adding to it. I mean, basically what he's saying here is be different. Be different. You know, don't be average. Don't be like the, the herd, the masses of people around you. Stand out in your kindness. Be a light in a dark place. Now, what he's going to do now is sort of give, tie all this together. And he's going to give us the, the reason for why we should treat people this way. Let's talk about the reason for being gracious to others. You know, what, what underlies really everything that the Bible is, is teaching here? Verse 32 says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Let's kind of walk through this. He says, first of all, be kind to one another. I was on Twitter the other day, and I saw this tweet come across. I don't know who said this originally, but I love it. Everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Isn't that true? Everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Be kind. Always. Be kind to one another. Now, what's the most difficult time to be kind? <laughs> when we've been wronged, right? So he, he quickly follows up by saying that we're to be forgiving. Right? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. But, but why? Ultimately, why should we forgive other people? It's because our forgiveness of others is related to God's forgiveness of us. Before every game, these guys say the Lord's Prayer. And one of the things that we say when we pray the Lord's Prayer is forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Why, why did Jesus teach us to pray that? It's, 
because Jesus wanted to impress on our minds the fact that we all need forgiveness. And that's because we're all sinners. Okay? We have all done plenty of things that are wrong. We have all failed to do plenty of things that are right. And we need God's forgiveness. Good news. Amazingly good news. We can have that. Okay? God has provided a way for us to have his forgiveness. And that is he gave his son for us. And that's what Paul talks about at the end of this verse, right? He says we're to be forgiving one another. How? Why? As God in Christ forgave you. Who are we to accept God's forgiveness and then turn around and withhold forgiveness from others? Instead, because we have been forgiven, we've trusted in Christ as our Savior, we have been forgiven. And because we have been forgiven so much and loved so much, we're to take that love and that amazing grace that we sung about earlier, we're to, we're to take that love and grace and extend that to other people and treat them with love and grace and forgiveness. That's why he says here at the beginning of chapter 5, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now listen, if you do relationships, the way that we're talking about today, you will shine. <laughs> I promise you. In this world we're living in, you will be different. You will stand out. You, know, you will shine like a star against the blackness of night which is exactly what God calls us to. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5.5, 5, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So imagine if you got on a plane in Norfolk and you flew rapidly westward and you land in a city where it's still night. But to you, it's not night anymore. It's day. That's what God is calling us to. You know, he's, he's calling us to be day people in a nighttime world. You look at our world, and it's night. I mean, you look at some of the images we've seen on our TV screens just in the past few weeks. It's really night. And in the midst of that Darkness. God calls us as his people to be vehicles of his love, to shine the light of his love in, in the midst of darkness. And we can do that because we've been loved. Because God has proven his love for us. As Romans 5.8 says, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and rose from the dead on Easter dawn. And what the Bible is saying here is, let God's love dawn in your hearts, dawn in you. Let his love dawn in you and flow through you. Be 
a day person in a nighttime world. Let's pray. Father, we pray for grace to reflect your love to others in relationships. Um, relationships can be so challenging, um, and we need your, your help in order to, to do them in, in a way that honors you. And, and really, it begins with a relationship with, with you. We need a relationship with, with you uh, so that we've, we've experienced your love and your grace and that's able to, to flow out from us to, to other people. And um, Father, we, we pray that um, you would speak to, to each one of us um, that you brought together in, in this room uh, today. Lord, may each person here understand how much you love them, how much you have shown your love for them in giving your son for them to die for our many sins, to, to rise from the dead so that we can have life, uh, life anew and life eternal through Jesus. And we pray that you will help us to reflect that love to all those around us in relationships. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a, a song. Um, and for some of you, as God's uh, speaking to uh, your heart, if you've got questions about uh, Christianity, you know, we would... Uh, we would love to, to come alongside. Uh, could be somebody here and God speaking to you about uh, being a part of our church family. It's in our, our first service. Um, someone came and said, you know, I want to be a part of this, this church family. Uh, the invitation is open to you. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father. And you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. 
I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.